Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to a special episode of the Believe in UCLA football podcast. My name is James Williams, a reporter and editor for the Orange County Register. Also a co-host here on this podcast, along with Josh Woods, former UCLA linebacker. He's doing his thing in the in the Canadian Football League this week, so we will be checking back in with Josh next week for his reaction to the Colorado and UCLA football game to start Pac-12 play. But with that being said, we will be joined and have, and you'll be listening to the conversation today with Brian Howell, the beat writer for the Colorado Buffaloes, and his work can be seen at buffstone.com. Brian's been covering the team for a number of years, and we cover quite a bit in terms of just the series between UCLA and Colorado and some of the uh, familiar faces involved in this series going into Saturday's game. Carl Drell's the head coach for the Buffaloes, but he's also a former coach for UCLA and also played at UCLA. So we'll check in on Carl Jarrell and see where he is at and what his status is with the team in Colorado after an 0-3 non-conference start. Uh, so with that being said, hope you guys enjoy this episode. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, some feedback, give us a good rating on any of your favorite podcast or audio platforms and make sure you guys go ahead and follow the twitter account for this show at believe ucla uh, more on that in the description for the podcast below and yeah let's jump right into it with brian howe so brian obviously it's finally the start of pac-12 play at least for most teams i know we did have what stanford in usc about a week or so ago but uh, UCLA will be making the trip, their first trip of the season, 3-0 at home in non-conference play, heading out to Boulder uh, to play Colorado and the Buffaloes. Uh, any quick thoughts as we kind of just kind of jump into things here? I know Carl Jarrell, a former Bruin, is a pretty big topic at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, for the Buffs, uh, you know, it's UCLA's first trip. It's going to be CU's uh, first game at Folsom in three weeks. So, oh, wow. They had know. all road games. Not all the their opener was at Folsom, and then okay. uh, the last two weeks at Air Force and then at Minnesota. So, gotcha. Okay. Um, it'll be the first time since the opener they've been since at home. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it'll, it's for them. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I guess neither team is super familiar with Folsom yet this year, so gotcha. um, it'll be an interesting one. Do you think that will? I mean, what do you think that? I mean, obviously, you know, I know the AD put out a statement. Maybe we could talk about that in a minute, but. Do you think maybe them, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, them kind of be coming back home to start conference play? And because normally you would like, well, even for UCLA, I mean, they've been winning games, but people have been so disappointed with the crowd turnout and just uh, the lack of, of teams they've been playing. And just, you know, the fact with with the South Alabama game being a one point game, I think UCLA being able to get out on the road, especially for um, this team having so many transfers as it has over the last couple of years getting that first taste of the road and, and being able to bond and get on a plane and things like that. But when you're Colorado, you're kind of coming back home uh, to the messy situation you're kind of in for, for whatever it may be worth. Um, what is kind of the buzz with the players and stuff, being able to, to kind of be back home and get settled in. Yeah. yeah it's so interesting uh, perspective, right? And mm-hmm. there's uh, these disappointments UCLA has because 
they're barely beating South Alabama and they're not getting great attendance. But then you got Colorado who's 0-3 and, and can't score, <laughs> you know, and they're getting blown out every week. So it, it's all about perspective. I think CU would trade places with uh, UCLA <laughs> right, right. in a heartbeat, um, you know, whereas, you know, UCLA fans wouldn't trade with a lot of places uh, right now or would, would like to trade with some other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it helps CU to be at home. They They generally play better at home not always. I mean, last year uh, at home, they got beat by Minnesota 30 to nothing and had 67 yards of offense. So they don't always play great at home, but I think it does help them to be at Folsom field. Um, you know, their, their fan base is uh, very restless at this point. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the statement by athletic director, Rick George, which, you know, there's a lot of fans right now that, you know, there's not much Rick George can say other than firing Carl Durrell right. that would make them happy. And so that statement was kind of, uh, I don't want to say slap in the face, but kind of a, a non-statement statement, you know, of, you know, whatever. <laughs> they don't want to hear that the athletic director hears their, yeah. their concerns. <laughs> he just, they just want to hear, yeah, change the concerns here. Right. So um, it's interesting, you know, there's still that large group of fans that, that supports this team no matter what, and they're going to be in the stands. Uh, but I'm very curious to see what the crowd's going to be like on Saturday. Do you, do you think, depending on how this game plays out, that this could be the last game for Carl Jarrell? Like, is is there any sort of, like, final straw? Or I, I believe, I think just when me and you were kind of setting up the process of getting together to do a podcast, I don't know if it was you who mentioned it to me, that they have, what, this game, I think another Pac-12 game, and then they have a bye week? Yeah, so they've, they've got this week, and then uh, next Saturday they go to Arizona, okay. and they have their bye week. Um I would be a little surprised if they did something uh, after this week. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting though. Uh, you know, I, I remember going to UCLA last year and uh, y- you know, you would know better than I do, but from what I remember, there was talk going into the UCLA Colorado game last year about whether Chip Kelly would survive yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then Colorado is up at, at the half and it's like, geez, if Colorado wins this game, could Chip be fired? Yeah, And then UCLA destroys him in the second half, has a strong finish, Chip gets an extension. Well, now here we are, you know, UCLA is coming to Boulder, and it's can Carl Durrell survive uh, this? <laughs> you know, and I, I would be surprised if they did something. Um, I mean, if UCLA wins 70 to nothing or something like that, mm-hmm. then maybe. But um, I do think that they would wait until the bye week at the earliest to do something. Uh, but, I mean, it's ugly. And I, I – I do think something could happen during the season with Carl Durrell being fired if the results we're seeing continue. And I actually, that's a real interesting point that you brought up about Kelly. It just seems like he's always kind of on the hot seat. So it's like, it's kind of all a blur, even after he signed the extension, just, I mean, again, they're three and zero, but people still want the man fired. And yeah. by the man, I mean, Chip Kelly, they, they just, they, they just, I don't know. They, they just, they blame him for the attendance. They blame him for everything. So it's, it's an interesting situation over here. Um, you know, they're coming off a winning season. They're three and zero, like I said, but people just still think they're, 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 they've lost the last like seven games or something. I don't know. Um, but to your point though, about, you know, if UCLA, you know, if they were to blow out Colorado 70 to zero or something along those lines, I think the thing with Chip Kelly, um, and again, I didn't really cover or pay. I think I was like in high school during his Oregon day, so I wasn't paying that close of attention attention to this kind of stuff. But nowadays, he's not more so. He's not looking to blow anybody out, right? Because he he 
could have done that with some of these non-conference games if he really wanted to. So maybe just from that regard, <laughs> maybe there's a little tiny bit of sympathy for for a Bruin alum there, and and they uh, let Carl Drell at least go another week. No, but um, yeah. I I think you know when in come in terms of scoring, I mean, I think they still have weapons and to score. Uh, by that I mean uh, the offense for UCLA. But one of the biggest question marks for me. Um, and you can just tell me how you guys are not you guys, but how Colorado's defense does against the run. But Zach Charbonnet is kind of limited um, at the moment. I, I was out at practice yesterday and I did not really see him doing much. He was like kind of holding the, the football on a stick during um, running back drills for the other guys. Um, but he wasn't involved in any sort of special teams drills, running back drills. And he didn't, he was very limited last week against South Alabama, didn't even play against Alabama State. Um, so he's very kind of limited. And I don't know if he is hurt. Chip's not very good about telling a whole lot of injury information. Um, but he just chalked it up as, oh, Zach's a warrior. So we'll see what starting running back Zach Charbonnet's status is. But I think regardless, um, just kind of what is what does the run defense look like for Colorado? Because they do have Keegan Jones for UCLA, who's kind of, um, been a solid backup uh, while Zach Charbonnet has kind of been limited so far. Yeah, you know, and going back to what you were saying about Chip, um, you know, potentially running up a score, you know, I, I do remember him bringing Oregon here. Uh, I mean, th- so far this has been the worst CU team I've seen since 2012. Okay. They were awful in 2012. Um, Chip brought his Oregon team in there. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was that year. It was either that or 2011, but um, brought his Oregon team in here. And very easily, that team was horrible, that CU team. Mm-hmm. And I think the final was like 45 to 2. And yes, 2. So you got to say <laughs> in that game. Um, and it very easily could have been about 80 to 2. Right. Um, and Chip really called off the dogs early in that one, like second quarter. So um, I Oof, do think the second quarter. <laughs> oh, he could. Yeah. They were, they didn't even have their starting running back or quarterback for that mm-hmm. game, but still pulled the, the quote starters for that day out early in that game. So, We'll see there, but I mean, this sets up really well for UCLA with or without Zach Charbonnet because Colorado right now has got the worst run defense in the country. Um, You know, they're, they're giving up 348 yards per game, which is 99 more yards per game than the next worst team in the country. Um, That's a lot, you know, (laughs) and yeah. (laughs) And to put it in more perspective, I mean, the first two quarters of the opener against TCU they gave up 14 yards in the first half. Then TCU wow. score or rushes for 261 in the second half. Air Force puts up a ton of yards against them. Minnesota puts up a ton of yards. So the thousand plus yards they've given up on the ground have really been all in the last 10 quarters. Um, you know, it's over a hundred yards a quarter <laughs> that mm-hmm. they're giving up right now on the <laughs> ground. Um, I, but I will say this: the, the numbers look terrible. They're giving up a lot of points, a lot mm-hmm. of yards, especially on the ground. But I don't think this defense is is as bad as the numbers show. I think that some of that is the product of the fact that their offense is so terrible right now that the defense is just on the field all the time and there's not much they can do. I mean, they got blown out early against Minnesota, but the first two games, the defense gave this offense chance after chance after chance to get back into games and the offense couldn't take it. And then, you know, late in the fourth or in the fourth quarter, you know, the defense gave up some points and, and got blown out, but um, they've done what they could in some of those games. So I, I think if, if CU can get some offense going, this defense can get in some rhythm as well and actually show up better than they have been. Um, and again, so for UCLA, I mean, they have 
what is it, fifth year, sixth year, uh, sixth year, or f- I don't know. For Dorian Thompson Robinson's been there a long time for UCLA. Yeah. In that often, uh, I guess year five because he's been there since Chip's been there. So year five for DTR. Um, but what does the quarterback situation look like for Colorado? Um, Chip Kelly said today when talking to the media that he's preparing for all three quarterbacks that Buffalo has or the Buffaloes have, because I guess they played all three quarterbacks in this last game against Minnesota, even though I think one of them, I was it the freshman who only played like the last four minutes or something along those yeah, lines, he played but the last series. Yeah. But chips preparing for both, but, or for all three, um, what are you expecting to see from this uh, quarterback situation for Colorado? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, some of the stuff I'm hearing behind the scenes is not matching up with what Carl Durrell is telling us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but we'll see. And, you know, we, we did talk to Carl, um, you know, you and I are doing this on a Wednesday afternoon. We chatted with him just a few hours ago. Okay. Um, he told us that all three guys are taking first team reps. Um, oh, you know, and yeah, I mean, you're in week four and, uh, and you, you don't know who your situation, what your QB situation is. I thought, I thought Michigan's uh, quarterback situation was complicated. Yeah. And, <laughs> theirs is actually they got two guys but they know the plan with the two guys right right right. um i mean this is so week one it was brendan lewis got the start and played pretty much most of the game jt shroud played a little bit uh week two in the rain at air force jt shroud played the entire game and was was terrible but part of it i think is it was raining the entire game Mm -hmm. uh then last week uh minnesota uh jt shroud brendan lewis traded every series and so that was plan c uh, and then Owen McCown came in. Uh, he's a true freshman. His dad played quarterback in the NFL for almost 20 years. Josh McCown, um, you know, really talented young kid, but he's, he looks like a freshman. He's like 5'11, 175. Uh, we got a lot of talent. Uh, he played the last drive. Um, but now all three are apparently in the running for this. And uh, I honestly would not be surprised if, uh, if Owen McCown starts this game, you know, he's, probably the most talented and has the best upside of the group, but he is a true freshman and with a slight frame. Uh, but Carl Durrell might be desperate enough to, uh, you know, throw out a true freshman there. So we could see, you know, four different QB plans in four weeks uh, with this Buffalo's team. And uh, you might see Owen McCown right off the bat. At least they're keeping it interesting for you and giving you some stuff to write about uh, each, yeah. each week. But, um, but I, I think, so one, one thing I found interesting and it reminds me of, the situation UCLA was in and Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, said it was kind of asked and I'll I'll ask the question here in a minute, but the way it was asked to him, like, Hey, this desperate Colorado team, and they were using the word desperate. Some of the media members were um, this desperate Colorado team. You know, what is it like from the UCLA perspective going up against that, a a team that may be desperate or hungry or, or just, you know, whatever the situation may be in that locker room and Dorian Thompson Robinson w- was very forward about like, Hey, you know, I can relate to those guys. Like I've been in that situation. That's what his freshman and sophomore season were, where they just had chip Kelly in a lot of guys transferred out, um, you know, as, as hap- that, which happens when you get a new coach coming in, whether, you know, he's clean out house or some guys leave on their own. Um, and so you're having a true freshman quarterback kind of get in there and start, and get the reps kind of like it sounds like maybe what Colorado situation may turn out to be here, but um, with the freshman getting some, some playing time at quarterback, but Dorian said, yeah, we've been there, you know, and, and it, you just kind of have to battle through it. And, you know, they've, they've 
kind of they had their first winning season with Chip Kelly and some of that experience kind of paid off. It you know, it took a long time to get there, but it paid off for them uh, at this point in the in where they're at in their process during Chip Kelly's tenure. But what has been the situation with Colorado that led to them uh, to get to this point? Was it just the transfer portal? A lot of guys leaving. I know there's been some guys that have gone pro uh, from Colorado over the last couple of years. Um but yeah, what 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 is just, what's what's been happening to get Colorado to this point? Yeah, it's been so many different things, and mm-hmm. you know, I I know that you know, like like DTR said, I mean, there's been teams that have been in this situation. Um, you know, one thing different about that situation was that you know they were the first year with Chip, right? And, yeah, um, mm-hmm. and they were trying to get a, a new program going, you know, and the the transfer portal wasn't a thing back then, and you know. I don't know that UCLA's full situation. Maybe there were guys that left, but um, you know, this is year three for Carl Durrell. This is not year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the transfer portal since he was hired, I mean, he was just hired two and a half years ago. Uh, but since he was hired, uh, I mean, at the time he was hired, there was no transfer portal. Like we see it now. Yeah. There was no NIL. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. those were all things that happened in the last 15 months or whatever. Right. Yep. Uh, and so it's changed the game quite a bit for him. You know, they had, six starters there's a lot of people that make uh people make a lot of the number of people that transferred out of this program and it was like 23 uh but a lot of that was guys that weren't playing and uh and frankly some guys at the coaching staff said you need to move on if you want to play right that was most of it so it's not the sheer numbers of the transfers that was an issue but there were six pretty key starters on this team from last year that left and they're now playing elsewhere i mean you've got you know, Brendan Rice was their most explosive receiver. He's now at USC yep. and like the number five receiver there. I know, yeah, right. I know he yeah. starts, he starts, but he's caught six passes in three games and he's Oof. not even a hundred yards. So um, he left for USC, both of their starting corners. Makai Blackman's now playing at USC. Christian Gonzalez is now playing at Oregon. Um, you know, one of your starting safeties, they already played him at TCU on in yeah. the opener. Was that Perry, right? Yeah, Mark Perry. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, they played him. Uh, Jarek Broussard, their running back, who was Pac-12 Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, you know, UCLA fans remember what he did to them in the oh, in 2020. Yeah. You know, he's now playing at Michigan State. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, who's the other one? I said six, and I'm Try. totally blanking on the. Oh, Dimitri Stanley was oh, their yeah. slot receiver, and he's now at Iowa State. So those were the ones that kind of hurt and. You know, Carl Durrell said time and time again in the offseason that we think we're better, that we've cleaned out the locker room in some ways, uh, you know, and kind of collectively as a group saying we got rid of some personalities that didn't need to be here. And but it has not shown up. And so a lot of their talent left uh, their two best players on defense from last year. Nate Lamon, Carson Wells, both graduated and um, you know went on to the NFL. Uh, Mustafa Johnson was one of their best defensive oh, yeah. players. He graduated and is, you know, he's not in the NFL, but he graduated. Um, so they lost a lot of talent and they didn't really replace a lot of it in the transfer portal. And, you know, they've got some guys in the portal, but, you know, nobody's making significant impact. I mean, Tommy Brown is an offensive lineman that came in from Alabama and he's played pretty well um, at guard for them. But RJ Sneed was a receiver they brought in from Baylor you know, to play, to kind of replace rice. And, uh, he was, he's been injured, but they've said he's healthy and he's, he's barely played and he only has a couple of catches this year. So I don't know what's going on with that. Um, so it's been weird and, you know, and clearly they don't have the quarterback situation figured out. And until they get that figured out, 
it's going to be tough to, you know, see much of this changing for Colorado. Yeah, the transfer portal is an interesting dynamic. Um, we get a, a well, when I say we, I mean the fan base towards UCLA. There's a lot of flack that's given about Chip Kelly's lack of high school uh, football recruiting. He, it, you know, he's hitting the transfer portal hard, um, and he's looking for a lot of experienced guys that kind of come and fill in holes. I don't know if you saw we had transfer U gate over here. Um, where they declare themselves transfer you on social media. Chip Kelly it brought, was brought to Chip Kelly's attention. He said, I don't know anything about that. And he said they should delete the tweet. And it took them a couple hours, but they finally deleted the tweet. But um, I think Old Miss even gave them some pushback on it too. But yeah, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of transfer port- portal action that comes over this way for UCLA. And it's kind of worked to their benefit so far. But yeah, long-term, I mean, especially whatever this Big Ten conference situation is going to be for UCLA, uh, they're going to have to start kind of developing some guys of their own. Um, is there anything that you're kind of interested about um, about this UCLA football team as as um, you guys kind of get ready to come or, or to host the the Bruins or, or or what is Carl Jarrell saying about you, UCLA in particular? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think the biggest thing for Carl and I get it is that you know they're trying to fix their own issues and it yeah. <laughs> really doesn't matter who they're playing this week. Right. I mean, uh, that's not a slide at all to UCLA. It's just mm-hmm. they've got so many issues that, uh, you know, it It doesn't matter if it's UCLA, South Alabama, or whoever. Uh, they need to start playing some better football. But, you know, he certainly is complimentary of UCLA. Mm-hmm. You know, as we all know, he played there and, and coached there a long time ago. Uh, but to his credit, I mean, that he's never really, you know, thrown any nostalgia about that. I mean, he, he's a Colorado Buffalo now. But his big thing is that, you know, he – he was saying he looks at this team as they're a no panic team that he knows they're, they're experienced and he's seen uh, UCLA get down in some games and not really panic. And they're able to win games and obviously very complimentary of, you know, DTR and the development that he's had. And, you know, certainly when I, I would guess he's a little envious of having of UCLA, having a, an experienced quarterback, as opposed to what the situation <laughs> he's got now. Uh, right. But, you know, for Colorado, obviously it's more about, what they can get done. But, um, I, you know, I, I am curious about what you've seen, you know, with UCLA and, you know, it is a three and O start, but mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't been the most impressive three and O start. So, you know, from your perspective, I mean, what is it about UCLA that, uh, maybe they haven't been overly impressive early on with, with what I know there was a lot made of kind of a weaker schedule than UCLA's used to right. on conference, but why have they not been, uh, you know, maybe overly impressive at this point? Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic. So first of all, I guess their week two game, a couple, I guess it's been like two or three years now, but uh, even then, I guess that's still not enough time when it comes to um, booking future games down the road. They always do that years in advance, obviously. But Michigan was was uh, slated to be playing in week two against UCLA this season, but the Wolverines pulled out of that game um, or the home and home. So they pulled out of two games there. So that kind of left, UCLA with limited options looking for for an opponent and uh, Martin Jarman was brought in I think he's he came in during the pandemic or right before the pandemic Um, so within you know he has like two years he's looking he's trying to look two years ahead and and book an opponent and again a lot of the future games are kind of planned out so um, he decided it was kind of a good opportunity to try and just make the most of it and get an HBCU in there. So they had an HBCU for week two. They brought in Alabama state. They're going to have another HBCU team uh, next season on the non-conference schedule. And and that was a nice treat and all, but it didn't do a whole lot for the fans. It did boost attendance 
a tiny bit for whatever that's worth. Um, they did bring the band and whatnot, but just the on on the field play, I feel like hasn't necessarily been there. And I know fans are panicking, but one of the things I tell the fan base is like, hey, some of these, some of the, those games early on, even though there was a, I would say the first, you know, you have UCL, UC, Bowling Green blocks UCLA's punt very early in the first quarter. If not, I think it was like one of the, I guess it wasn't the first play if it was a punt, but it was very early on and they returned that for a touchdown. Bowling Green gets on the board first and I'm like, I didn't have that on my bingo card. <laughs> this was supposed to be a game that was going to be pretty dominant for UCLA and it eventually ended up being so, but there's been some adversity, right? Because they, I mean, it, again, it, it was just a block punt and stuff, but that's the kind of stuff that can kind of set the pace for your season or for that game and um, you know, they battled through that again, the South Alabama team, a lot of people don't give credit and Chip Kelly said, Hey, you know, we knew this was a talented team. I think a lot of people were saying that, but the fan base is like, no, that's South Alabama, not Alabama. It should not be a one point game. And again, I think it's all perspective. It's like, if you know, you know, if it's Alabama, then you would have been more than okay. If UCLA came out of that with a one point win. Right. But the fact that it's South Alabama, they weren't having it, but <clears throat> Again, on the field, I think there's there's just some questions about um, Charbonnet, right, and what his availability will be, and then it's just this de- this offense and this defense hasn't really played as a full. They had they hadn't played a full four quarters until this South Alabama game. So while people were complaining about it being a one point game. I would say, hey, you need that and and allow for some mistakes to happen. They had two fumbles. You had Charbonnet, who gave up a rare fumble at the goal line when there was some miscommunication there on uh, Dorian said he was trying to go through a read. But Charbonnet, who when he was in, uh, I think this was in the third quarter, said, no, just kind of give me the ball and let me just ram it in into the end zone. He was like two yards away. Charbonnet is an automatic you know, at least two yards, it, that should be a given, but right. um, they, they kind of fumbled the ball there a little bit, but yeah, I, I think they're, they're just working on some, on some, some miscues and some miscommunication there. And I said, Hey, you'd rather have these happen now in non-conference than have it in um, league play against Oregon or Utah, for example. But I think the biggest thing is they were in blowouts early on, just when, how the, the scores kind of ended up being that you're not having uh, DTR play for the third and fourth quarter. You didn't have Charbonnet play at all in the in the second game. So yeah, of course there's going to be some miscues. No, regardless of how long those guys have been playing together, when they're out there for that first game and and kind of going through the the, the paces of playing for four quarters together. Uh, UCLA, even though Chip Kelly came back and had an, um got his extension for two or three years, um, will be staying for three. Um, and cause he's finishing out his original contract, but he got two years added on to his, um, for an extension, but he, you know, he, he had to kind of rehaul the, the, the coaching staff there. And I'll talk about one guy in particular that relates back to Colorado here in a minute, but he had to get a new offensive coordinator, defensive quarter coordinator, and a special teams coordinator. One of them went to Ohio state and joined Ryan day staff, um, the offensive coordinator, um, there was a lot of complaints just from the moment I started covering the team in 2019. Everyone wanted Jerry as an arrow out the door and he ended up being there um, three or four years longer than uh, fans wanted, but he finally right. moves on and whether chips willing to admit it or whatever the case was, I think that might've been part of the contract extension talk there or the compromise was, Hey, like let's, let's maybe change some things on defense. So not only are you getting a lot of new defensive transfers in, but you're having to redo your staff. Um, especially defensively, there's only one coach from last year's team um, 
on that defensive side of the ball that is um, returning this year. And he's only been there for two years. That's Brian Norwood, um, who believe coached at Navy for some time. But yeah, other than that, Bill McGovern's the new defensive coordinator, and he's he was off. Uh, he was a defensive line coach, uh, I believe, for the Bears last year, the Chicago Bears. So he's kind of coming in. He's still kind of finding his groove with this team, and and they're doing pretty well for themselves. Fans will say, you know, the fans always love poking holes in the defense, but um, you know they're 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 doing pretty well so far, and I, I just think they need to do better. They're young in the secondary. Secondary has always kind of been an issue. Um, Bill McGovern is has a history as a defensive back he played defensive back in college i believe so um hopefully over time he can help shore that secondary up over time but they're just kind of young there devin kirkwood is uh played as a true freshman last year was a key contributor but getting his first kind of round of starts here um as a as a true sophomore and kind of going through the paces and there'll be some growing pains there for him um but then you do have mo osling who's like um in year six or seven is what i guess year seven or yeah year six because he was there from the jim mora days he's like one of the last guys from jim mora so he's still kind of hanging around and then um you do have seven blaylock who i believe is on his like 34th or fifth consecutive start at this point um has been playing since chip kelly walked in the door as the new coach so yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag, and I think they're still kind of working through some things. And again, they haven't played a full four quarters until the South Alabama game. I would imagine you're going to get another full four quarters, maybe, maybe not, depending on on what Colorado brings to the table in this game. Not but, from what we've seen so far from Colorado, <laughs> it could be another another early game. But I I think maybe if anything, they try to leave them out there a little bit because you need to build and establish some momentum if you're UCLA because you have a a big game and a game that after Colorado and, and you would like to think they're not looking too far ahead if you're UCLA, but um, Washington is the next game right after followed by games against Utah and Oregon. So it's not going to get any easier for UCLA um, having three AP top 25 teams. At least all three of those teams are ranked in the AP top 25 right now after Colorado. So they need to kind of get their bearings a little bit in this game. And it's going to be a filling out process for UCLA when they get to Colorado. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Well, first off, Mo Osling, I don't know if you know this, but he originally committed to Colorado. I didn't. And, wasn't and I think I wasn't he like a longtime Colorado guy? And then I did he flip over or something? Or he flipped towards the end. I don't know how long yeah. he was committed, okay. but he was committed to Colorado and then then flipped over. Um, you know, and Kane Madrano actually is from from Kane, the state yeah. of Colorado, so mm-hmm. um, really good kid. I remember covering him in high school. But um, but anyway, yeah, it's interesting because this game is sort of a. I mean, obviously it's the first conference game for both, but mm-hmm. it's a tone setter in some ways for both these programs. Cause like you said, you know, for UCLA, you need a good tune up um, for that sort of murderer's row the next three weeks. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, not three weeks, but next three games because they have the buy in there, but yeah, they do. That's a, that's a tough stretch for, for UCLA. I mean, outside of USC, that's the three other mm-hmm. best teams. In the that's, conference. that's your season. That's where your season's going to, kind of you're going to know which direction you're going in by that. Yeah. And, you know, you look at Colorado and, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, tone setter for an easier stretch. I mean, they're November. uh, Look at this November. They've got Oregon, USC, Washington, and Utah in four straight weeks to end the season. I mean, that's brutal. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we penciled that in as four losses. Yeah. Where do you get wins? (laughs) Like you're not getting any there. So this one, this is no offense to UCLA, but like, of course, uh, this sort of kicks off what, um, is a, a stretch of five, what we thought were winnable games. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing looks winnable right now, but I mean, um, <laughs> if, if they can come out and, and play better against UCLA and maybe steal a win, uh, I mean, the next four weeks, you got Arizona, Cal, 
Oregon State, who's I know you know been playing pretty well so far, and then Arizona State at home, who you know they've got a an interim head coach now. So yeah, there's a five game stretch here, starting with this UCLA game that you know if they can turn something around, there's an actually an opportunity there for Colorado to you know, maybe steal some wins, but um, it's super hard to project that with the way they're playing right now. Uh, but in, in a lot of ways, I think this is a big game for both programs to kind of set the tone for what's coming up in the next three, four weeks. There's no doubt about it. And one thing, again, when me and you were kind of talking about setting up, doing this podcast together, um, one thing that stood out that you mentioned was like UCLA struggling in Boulder. And I'm like, that's a good point because the first thing, and you mentioned it with, Broussard when he was the running back and and he kind of had that week one performance against UCLA and I, I believe was that the year that that was Carl Durrell's first game as coach yeah. too yep. and, it was Durrell's first game and was that the was that the COVID year was that the start of the shortened season yep was it this was the part, one that you know it, kicked off it was a season opener like November yeah I don't know early November and and then Carl Durrell ended up being like coach of the year that year yeah he was coach of the year <laughs> Jerry Broussard right. was offensive player of the year and, uh, you know, it started with uh, how he played against UCLA that night. Yeah. And so I remember that game and and it reminded me, too. So you mentioned, you know, the struggles for Boulder and it made me look. Well, I'm like, well, what does the season series look like? Like, what have the last couple of games been when each team's visited? And since 2015, from what I saw was whoever the home team is, has won the game. And yeah, so- it, it, it's three straight losses in Boulder for UCLA. Yeah. And- their last win was actually uh, in Boulder was 2014, which uh, you know some UCLA fans remember that it was a it was a crusher for Colorado because you know Brett Hundley was UCLA's quarterback, yep. and uh, you know UCLA had a big lead early in the game, 24-7. I'm looking at the box score right now, 24-7 in the second quarter, but CU battled back, um, kicked a field goal uh, late in, in regulation to tie it. And Hunley uh, scores on an eight-yard run in the second overtime to win forty to thirty-seven. So that was their last win in Boulder. So, you know, of the last four trips to Boulder, UCLA's only won one, and uh, it was a, a tough battle to get there. I mean, they had to do it in double overtime. So um, UCLA's had a tough time in Boulder, and I think this is the teams are different now. But like DTR's never won here, Chip, uh, Chips never won here. So um, it's been a while since uh, you know UCLA's won a game in Boulder, Colorado. No doubt about it. And again, for, for whatever reason, like I, I'm, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA lost this game. I, there's just something about it for some reason. I don't know. And I know maybe you're thinking that's kind of sounds a little crazy just because you know what the situation is at Colorado better than anybody. But I'm just like, this is their first game on the road. Like, you know, they re- again, they really haven't had a whole lot of adversity or just time on the field together in, in live game action. So it's like, is this going to, you know, where it's, it's going to be a, just a test for this team. Get on the road, get on the plane. You know, people will talk about, you know, the the elevation and stuff out there or the air for Colorado. But it's just like, you know, it's going to be a test regardless of who they're playing or what. Just for UCLA um, in, in from their own stand standpoint, just, you know, they need to just come out of this as one, just as healthy as possible. But, you know, just try to get a win. But at the same time, the fan base is not going to settle for a win is a win as long as it's just another W in the, in the win column. They want a 35-point deficit. Like, you know, they want to be ahead by 35 points and win the game without any hesitation at all, um, the complete opposite of what the South Alabama game was. But, again, we talked about it. I don't know if Chip Kelly's going to – he's going to call off the dogs when he needs to. Um, but 
I am kind of curious. Well, one other thing you mentioned, Kane Madrano, real quick. Um, oh. he started the season opener, and but he has we haven't seen him the last two weeks. Oh, um, really? Okay. He's been listed as a starter. I don't know how much you look into depth charts for opposing teams, but he continues to be listed as a starter. But he's just not playing and he dressed he, i saw him he was out there in practice and pads for warm-up stretches and then he just goes into the weight room and takes off his pads i did see him when we were going back in to do interviews he was kind of like running and sprinting on his own but there's like so there's no limp there's no anything he's just not playing so i'm not i'm not sure what the deal is there um anything else as as um we get to some of the final minutes here no i mean i i going back to your point um I would be surprised if UCLA loses this game um, just based on what I've seen from Colorado. But I will say that, you know, with Colorado, I could see this as a potential um, turnaround game for them in some respects in that they are at home. And if they do truly have uh, a way to turn things around or to fix some things in practice, um, one thing I've seen is that the players still believe in what's going on here. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any players quit um, from players I've talked to. There's been none of that. We don't get to watch any practice, but um, standing outside the gates at the end of practice waiting for interviews, you can hear there's a really good spirit about them. So um, it, I could see maybe them playing better in this game. But if you're a UCLA fan, <laughs> I understand what you're saying. And <laughs> you look at the score so far for Colorado yeah. and, you know, UCLA fans not going to be satisfied with just escaping with a win. I mean, when Minnesota beats them 49 to seven, right. You know, and UCLA is probably thinking we're better than Minnesota. Right. Uh, and so you got to beat them just the same. So um, I would be a little surprised if Colorado uh, won this game, but being home and some of those other factors, maybe there's some pride that kicks in and maybe they figure something out scheme wise. Uh, maybe there's a quarterback change and that, and that figures uh, things out. But um, I do think UCLA, you know, was able to kind of, you know, skate through this one and, you know, with a fairly easy victory, but, but we'll see, it'll be interesting. So yeah, Brian, as, as we kind of wrap things up here, um, one thing I wanted to, to talk to you about, and I was interested in talking to you about is, um, you know, I talked about UCLA and Chip Kelly, um, obviously his extension, but him bringing on new coaches, including coordinators and whatnot. Uh, one of the interesting ones for, or one of the interesting additions for Chip Kelly, at least for me um, during this off season was he brings in, um, Coach Chevrini, Darren Chevrini, who is now an he's an offensive analyst for UCLA. And I believe he was um, I don't know if he was a grad assistant. I think he was like a special teams assistant um back in the day, like in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. But um he played for Colorado, uh, spent some time coaching at Colorado. Um, what what is uh what does Coach Chev mean to that program or or just where where does he stand with the program there at Colorado? Yeah, you know, he's obviously a you know a, a great buff. You know, he played receiver here he was a really talented receiver um you know carl durell was his receivers coach uh, oh, yeah. when he played here um mm -hmm. and then you know he was actually brought in by uh, mike mcintyre right. um, after the 2015 season he was at texas tech um i believe he was coaching the special teams there yeah i'm not mistaken that he was and he might yeah. have worked his way into some offense i think yeah he i can't Maybe. remember exactly but i know he was doing special teams and then so he uh was hired after the 2015 season and by Mike McIntyre brought on as a, as co-offensive coordinator and uh, you know, spent the next six seasons at Colorado with three different head coaches, you know? He, yeah. Um, and so that tells you a little bit about what he meant to see you is that, you know, when they went through coaching changes, I mean, that's administration, you know, 
encouraging new coaches. You want to keep this guy on. And, um, you know, early in his time there, he did a really good job. Um, he was kind of the recruiting coordinator mm-hmm. um, and uh, and played a big role in um, really reestablishing CU's uh, recruiting uh, base in Texas, which they had kind of gotten away from. But um, r- really, he really ramped that up when he was here. Uh, that's when they got guys like, um, you know, LaVisca Chenault, mm-hmm. Katie Nixon, uh, Levante Chenault, who UCLA played against two weeks ago yep. at Alabama State. Yep. Um, you know, so he, he did that. There was, as time went on and, and as Mel Tucker came in here and as Carl Durrell came in here, that role was reduced a little more. Um, he was actually, you know, when Mel Tucker came in here, um, Chev was demoted from offensive coordinator to receivers coach. And then uh, when Tucker left, he was made the offensive coordinator again, but that only lasted the two seasons and then gets let go at the end of last season. So it didn't end well here. And from a fan perspective, uh, they were ready to, um, see him go as an offensive coordinator mm-hmm. because the results, uh, frankly, weren't great. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of factors in that. And, you know, I've, I've got a good relationship with Chev. I've, I've talked to him so much over the years and I, I know that, um, it's, it was not all his fault. You know, mm-hmm. he's the guy leading it. And so sometimes the guy in charge of that is going to take the fall. Um, you know, he, he had some, you know, I'm sure that he would admit that, you know, there were some things he learned as a coordinator that he could have done better, uh, but it wasn't all his thing, all his fault, but, um, fans were ready to kind of see him leave at the end of last year. But, um, <laughs> the way things have gone this year, it certainly hasn't been any better, but, um, overall, you know, he was, he was a good buff there. there I'll, I'll say one more thing is that there's mm-hmm. an award now that they give out at the end of the season. It's, it's a fan award called the Buffalo heart award. And, um, it goes to generally a senior, I think it's almost always been a senior, but it doesn't have to be. But at the end of the season, they give it to someone who, you know, has kind of been the heart of a Buffalo, right? And uh, just kind of that heart and soul type of guy, basically a fan favorite type of player. Um, the first player to ever get that award was Darren Shiverini. Uh, so, so that'll tell you kind of what um, the fans, you know, thought of him as a player back in the day. Um, and then you really like the energy he brought in as a recruiter and as an assistant coach, especially early in his time. Um, that changed a little bit, uh, you know, as, as time went on and with different head coaches, but, um, all in all, I think people still look at him favorably as, uh, you know, he was a good buff. So I have, so I have a few questions and you brought up some, some good things. So one, I, like, I wanted to write like something on Chev this week, but, um, they weren't ready to make him available just yet as they kind of do at UCLA with a lot of new additions, like even some of the transfer, like we didn't get Zach Charbonnet when he first came in last year, like, to like the last half of the season. And he's like, he's your leading rusher. But um, regardless, um, which Chev, I think I even mentioned he might have been the special teams coordinator, did something with UCLA and special teams in 2014. That it was probably way before that, actually, now that I think about it. But because I was I was a student at Riverside City College when Chev was there. And there were times where I thought he was the head coach. <laughs> um, but they have Tom Kraft there. He's still there now um, as a legendary coach. They've won some some uh, junior college championships here recently in the California area. But um, Chev Rini, again, there was times I thought he was the, you know, he was the end all be all the fan there. The, the players loved him. He was involved with special teams. I think even some of the academics and, and helping making sure these guys were eligible um, so that they could get to the next level. He, I think he did special teams as well. He, he did everything again. That's why I thought he was the head coach and um, he leaves the program. And I think that's when he joins Texas tech and, um, and then and then he heads to Colorado. 
Um, but one thing that stood out to me, and it was interesting because you said he got demoted. Um, and I'm not trying to like question um, some of what you said there, but because didn't I remember, I think it was, and the only reason why I think I remember this is because I'm familiar with Chev's name. And then um, it was, I think my first Pac-12 media day. Um, and, and it was Mel Tucker and he gets up, you know, they say they're opening comments. And I think he said, Hey, like Mel was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of new. I'm still figuring things out with, uh, the, with Colorado. And didn't he promote Chev to like associate head coach or something because of, um, the transit, like he helped with the transition or something there. I thought he got promoted. Well, he, yeah. I mean, he was the offensive, he was the co-offensive coordinator mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, the first couple of years under Mike McIntyre. And then gotcha. 2018, he was the offensive coordinator. Uh, well, mm. I, no, he was co. He was co with Clayton. I feel Adams. like he's always been co. Yeah. He was always co because it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, until last year. But like, mm -hmm. um, he was always co under Mike McIntyre. But then when McIntyre left, um, Mel Tucker didn't, I mean, he was demoted because he was not the offensive coordinator anymore. anymore. He just coached receivers. But gotcha. um, he okay. did, he did get the title of, uh, you know, associate head coach or assistant head coach or whatever it was. Something like that, yeah. Um, in in part because of, you know, him having him around helps with the transition gotcha. you know, from you know, because Tucker didn't know anything about CU at the yeah. time. And so didn't stay they, long enough to <laughs> and to find out. Yeah. Yeah. But he did get that uh that title, but um in the in essence it was a demotion. I mean he gotcha. Okay. He went from off some from co OC to, to uh quote just a receivers coach under mm -hmm. Tucker. Uh, but then you know Darrell gets hired and um, and they make him the offensive coordinator and that's what he did for the last two years. So, um, so yeah, there was a little bit of that up and down. He had different roles during the gotcha. you know six seasons he was here. And there was no talk. Was he maybe ever kind of strongly considered to be the head coach there at some point? Maybe that just sounds crazy. I don't know. But he he interviewed for uh, he he interviewed after Tucker left. Okay. Um, and I believe he was actually made the interim head coach during those couple of weeks, which, yeah, which I don't know how much that means. It's total, it's off season. Right. Um, but from my understanding, uh, he was never seriously considered, but he did mm, get an interview okay. because he was there, you know, right. And right. Kind of as, as a courtesy. Um, he may not like the way I said that, <laughs> uh, but from everything I've talked to people at CU, he was never seriously considered for that job. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just always curious about that and just kind of, you know, kind of, I guess, what all had happened there. So, um, do you, and again, just real quick, as we wrap things up, do you think a lot of that coaching turnover? I know you said Darrell's been there for like three years now. And at this point, it should ideally be a lot of his guys. Um, obviously, a lot of guys did leave, but did a lot of that early coaching or that coaching kind of carousel that ran through Colorado there, as we mentioned, uh, with how short Mel was there, Carl kind of coming in. I think was it either Mel or um, wasn't like very late in the recruiting process when they left or something. Um, I think when Jarrell comes on or Tucker leaves or something. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was after signing day, after the February signing period in 2020. So it was um, mid mid February uh, of 2020 that Tucker leaves, and obviously, you know, people generally hire their coaches in December. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was after signing day. there, there had already been a February signing day, a little celebration and all that. But, um, that's when it was right around that time that, uh, Mark D'Antonio retired from Michigan state. 
And then he gets the job. uh, Tucker gets the job in like mid February. And so, yeah, you know, Darrell was hired kind of late February of 2020. Um, You know, the pandemic hits like two, three weeks later. And obviously, (laughs) you know, nobody knows what's going to happen at that point. But um, regardless of the pandemic, I mean, he was hired very late in the process. Yeah. uh, When most head coaching uh, positions and candidates were already scooped up. Is that kind of like talked about with during, you know, with where Carl Drell is at now? Like, hey, it was kind of a late start that first year and just kind of with the way with the pandemic, the way things played out. Like, is is that maybe some of the leeway we're seeing or there some of the rope here that's still there for Carl as, as um, we it, head into this week? It might be for the administration. It's certainly not for the fans at this of course point, not. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, early on. You could you could say that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and. And I would say going back to, you know, Cheverini, you know, I think at the time that, you know, Durrell was hired, you know, uh, he kept Cheverini uh, and kept, you know, Tyson Summers, who was a defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, there was a couple other guys he kept as well. But, um, you know, I, I think he kept them because of how late he was hired in the process. Mm-hmm. And at the time, uh, they were thinking they were still planning on doing spring ball three weeks after, you know, was hired, but then the pandemic (laughs) changed that. And so I think I truly believe that had Carl Durrell been hired two months earlier and it's December. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Tyson Summers or Darren Shiverini would have been a part of that staff. Um, And, and even if they were, um, even if Shiverini was part of the staff, maybe only as receivers coach. um, I don't think that, that they would have been Carl Durrell's choices as coordinators, you know, right off the bat. And so gotcha. um, to, I'm sort of answering your question in a roundabout way, but mm-hmm. um, you know, he fired Tyson Summers after one season. Uh, it was, it was kind of tough to get rid of too much after that 2020 season. Cause you're still reeling from the pandemic. Right. Um, they kept Shiverini last year. Um, and so a lot of the, a lot of coming into this year was this belief that, okay, Carl Durrell finally has the staff he wants. And now we're seeing what it looks like. But I think there was some leeway in that regard in that it didn't ever feel like Carl Durrell had the staff he fully wanted um, and certainly didn't have all the players that he wanted. I mean, most of the guys that left, uh, the players that left in the in the offseason were, you know, Mel Tucker and, Carl, and uh, Mike McIntyre recruits that were kind of tired of some coaching changes and, and just wanted a fresh start. And so – there was this belief that, all right, give Carl some leeway here. He hasn't really had his full staff yet that he wants. And so this is the first year he's got it. And we see what the first three games look like. Um, So there might be some of that leeway administration wise, but you know, for the fans that, you know, that's completely gone. Right. It'll only go so far. And yeah, so, so we'll see how things play out. Uh, And just again, for Cheverini, who's now again at UCLA, just curious to see how he gets back involved with recruiting and whatnot. I think he might've came on um, late over here at UCLA this off season, but maybe he gets a little bit involved in the recruiting cycle in that regard uh, one way or another. But anyways, Brian, thank you so much. It's been fun. I won't be out in Boulder uh, this week, but um, I'm sure we'll catch up sometime soon, whether it's at uh, PAC 12 media day or, or somewhere else down the line. Yeah. Sounds good. I appreciate that. you hosting this and uh you know we'll see how this week goes awesome should be a fun one regardless and uh again take care brian
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.